You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Surrey City Council says it's official. The city is staying with the RCMP and ending the transition to a civic force. The province, on the other hand, says not so fast. As Janet Brown shows us, despite the secret vote last night, the whole policing decision is still not resolved. Mayor Brenda Locke says the RCMP are staying in Surrey and the Surrey Police Service will not continue. Surrey needs a final answer on policing and the Surrey Council has decided with a vote held yesterday to retain the RCMP as our police force of jurisdiction. The decision was made after a vote by council Thursday behind closed doors and as a result the mayor can't say how councillors voted. A staff member of the mayor's office tried to cut short the news conference, to which reporters protested. That's actually all the time we have. Thank you very much, everyone. Excuse me, the news conference just started at 11. There's a lot of media here. We have a lot of questions. What's the rush? Councillor Linda Annis says the vote by council should have been held in public. To me, it was way too hasty. We should have waited. We have a council meeting on Monday night. We should have had taken four or five days to look at the report, have questions answered that we needed, and then do a vote and do the vote publicly. For now, it appears there is no final decision until Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth has his say. What's important for me is that I need to see a plan uh, that uh, deals with the, uh, the, requirement, uh, the requirements that I laid out um, for both the RCMP and the Surrey Police Service. Surrey RCMP says it's been a difficult road to get to this point. And the minister has indicated that he needs to review the city's plan. So uh, we will continue to work with the city. We will continue to work uh, with the province with the objective of continuing to keep the city of Surrey safe. The Surrey Police Service says it is a tough day, but at the same time, they're holding out hope the transition will continue. I am optimistic based on the information I have, and uh, uh, I have to be that way because, uh, of course, I've got 400 employees that uh, have this hanging over their head. And uh, I think the message has to be it's not over yet. And Chris, a footnote to all of this, it is costing Surrey taxpayers roughly $8 million a month to support two policing agencies. Back to you. It's always been about the money in many cases here. Janet, thank you very much. That's Janet Brown reporting for us. Let's bring in now for more on Surrey Council's decision. We heard Chief Norm Lipinski there say this is not over. Is he right or does Brenda Locke, the mayor, get the last word? No, it's not over. So now the ball is in Mike Farnworth's court. So you heard reference to uh, this report that council was basing their decision on. That's an internal report in the municipal hall called the corporate report. Uh, that hasn't been shared with anyone other than the council. Now it has to get to Mike Farnworth, and he has to go through that to ensure that the conclusions they drew match to what his requirements were, which is that you cannot staff the RCMP by taking RCMP officers from different detachments. Presumably that's covered in this report, but Mike Farnworth today stressing the reporters, he and his staff need to see that report before anything goes further. I think what the, uh, the people of Surrey want is a resolution uh, to this issue. Uh, we all want a resolution to this. Uh, that's why it's important that I see the report uh, that, I may, that my staff and I are able to determine as to whether or not it uh, meets the, uh, the, con the requirements, the conditions, the requirements that I laid out a number of weeks ago. 
So to sum up, a secret vote, a uh, secret meeting. Today, minimal questions uh, from the mayor, not answering reporters' questions. And now that secret uh, report uh, presumably will make its way over here to Minister Farnworth's office. Just check with his office, though. So they've received no indication when that's going to come. They first have to sign a, a, a non-disclosure agreement. They're willing to sign that. But even that non-disclosure agreement, Chris, is not expected to get here until sometime next week. So slow-moving uh, movements from Surrey City Hall to seem in no hurry to wrap this thing up, this thing's going to drag on for some time yet. Communication between those two entities has not been great so far. No, so not at all. You're right, it'll take a while. Thanks, Keith. 18 people were sent to hospital with injuries after a bus crash on a remote forest service road in northern BC. Police say about 30 people were on board when the bus rolled. Photos from the scene show the bus on its side in the ditch. It happened just after 8 o'clock this morning on a gravel forest service road about an hour and a half north of Prince George. The bus was transporting pipeline workers from a nearby camp. Seven ambulances from Prince George and Mackenzie responded. RCMP say it had rained and road conditions at the time were not good. We are currently working with BC Emergency Health Services to uh, get all of the injured and uh, non-injured people out of that area, uh, which is taking a little bit longer due to road conditions, weather conditions, and the distance from Prince George. The University Hospital of Northern BC in Prince George was on code orange for several hours today asking people to stay away, but that alert has since been lifted. We're learning more about another group impacted by the closure of Highway 4 on Vancouver Island. About half a dozen teachers who normally commute to school in Port Alberni from the other side of the hump. But that commute is now a nearly six-hour detour each direction, and they risk losing pay if they don't show up. Kylie Stanton reports. Crews are falling trees and clearing rocks, working to get this highway reopened. But its closure has left other jobs hanging in the balance. Currently, we have a group of teachers who are, for want of a better term, trapped on the other side of the hump. According to the Alberni District Teachers Union, staff were told to be back in the classroom this past Monday. The school district saying, quote, it was not the employer's decision or concern as to where employees reside. They now have no other option but to find a place to live in Port Alberni. Dvorak says roughly half a dozen teachers have been affected. They would usually make the 45-minute commute from the Parksville-Qualicum area along Highway 4. But with that closed, their only option is to go to Ubo, a two-hour drive, before traveling the four-hour stretch along the narrow gravel detour route. The unreasonableness of that expectation has been very quickly realized by people and what they've had to do is um, turn their, their job into a camp job. Staff and members of the community have now opened up their homes to those in need, where teachers are sleeping on couches, spare beds and trailers. The other option, stay home, but don't expect a paycheck. Thoughts that came through the unions. Um, this district should be providing pay for uh, teachers to be um, at home and not in the uh, community of their employment. That's not the stance that the uh, the employer shares. And certainly, it's a priority for us that kids are able to go to school. That we keep life as normal as possible for communities during this stressful time, and we're going to continue to do that work. 
But the union says that's not good enough. The situation once again highlighting the need to better prepare for the fallout of these disasters. We should have a clear provincial legislation that outlines what are the employer's responsibilities to workers. Workers want security of employment. Workers don't want their job to all of a sudden turn into a camp job. I wouldn't do it. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Now, because of that ongoing closure, starting on Monday, Helijet will have limited passenger service between Nanaimo and Port Alberni. One round-trip flight per day will leave the heliport in Nanaimo at about 9.30 a.m. Monday to Friday and return from Port Alberni Airport at 10.30. Reservations for the service must be made directly with Helijet. Check with the airline for pricing. A very strong warning now ahead of our next story. It concerns child abuse, and many of the details are extremely disturbing. A Fraser Valley husband and wife were in a Chilliwack courtroom today to face sentencing for the horrendous treatment and neglect of two foster children, one of whom died. Romina Dea reports. Judge Peter LaPrairie said the children were tortured. The actions of the accused evil and inhumane. I can uh, say I've certainly never seen anything like this before. This has been the most difficult. The boy, 11 years old when he died. A picture of his favorite shirt, part of his grandmother's victim impact statement. The courtroom packed with devastated members of Staelis First Nation, many of whom cannot be identified because of a publication ban. The crimes committed in Lake Arock between 2020 and 2021. The children, aged 8 and 11, were in foster care. The accused paid $2,000 a month to look after them. The judge said the accused female directed the child victims to wear diapers and would lock them in a closet. They were not fed with the other children and food was withheld from them as punishment. They were forced to eat feces from their diapers, eat their vomit, and drink their urine. The boy forced to eat dog food from a can. The evidence includes 16,000 video clips. The accused captured on camera laughing. The assaults of the children included slaps, punches, kicking, whipping, said the judge. They were grabbed by their throats, ears and hair and struck with weapons, including belts and pieces of wood and made to do excessive exercise routines for hours. The abuse of the boy intensified February 20th, 2021. He was struck with a two by four piece of wood multiple times all over his body, including his head and face. He was shaken, punched, slapped and thrown down. Fast forward to February 26th, 2021, when the boy was attacked in the kitchen. He was unsteady on his feet. The female accused slapped him in the face. The boy's head bounced off the wood floor. He was unable to brace himself as his hands were stuck in his shirt. The boy died a few days later. The judge concerned no one did anything. The Ministry of Children and Family Development hadn't checked on the children for seven months, according to the evidence. I've seen inquiries on less onerous or less uh, horrendous situations. The victim's family and the chief have asked for privacy. They are trying to heal now that the sentence has been handed down. Romina Dea, Global News. A former Vancouver cab driver has been sentenced for a hit and run that left a cyclist with life-changing injuries. The Crown asking for jail time, defense asking for a conditional sentence. 
And as Kristen Robinson reports, the accused was not in court to hear any of it. The judge described it as a horrendous motor vehicle collision and told the court a conditional sentence was not appropriate for the hit-and-run cabbie because Mr. Periathu had absconded and is at large on warrants of arrest. John Periathu sentenced to what the Crown was asking for, one year in jail and a three-year driving ban. The former yellow cab driver pleaded guilty on the eve of his trial to a single count of failing to stop at the scene of an accident causing bodily harm. In August 2019, a cyclist in his late 60s was riding near West 4th Avenue and Collingwood Street when he was struck by a yellow cab. The taxi was behind me and passed me on the right, but I could actually hear his electric engine accelerating around me, which is baffling considering it was a red light. The collision said Judge Emmett Duncan was ghastly. The cyclist was thrown 14 meters and catastrophically injured. The man was probably six feet off the ground. He did a full rotation and landed and just lay there lifeless. His bike was another 20 feet away in front of the bus stop and it was, it was disgusting. The victim suffered fractured ribs, a brain injury and had to learn how to walk again. The once successful lawyer now lives in 24-hour care. A pre-sentence report noted, although he did not die in the collision, his life was taken from him. Periathu fled the scene. The court heard he turned his transponder off, making himself digitally invisible as he drove around for several hours after the crash before police caught up with him and his damaged taxi. Periathu has no criminal record and no negative driving history. Defense described this as a once-in-a-lifetime terrible day for his client, who is now wanted on a bench warrant after failing to appear in court. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Some good news today for commuters who use the West Coast Express. A newly refurbished locomotive shows off its new paint job at Waterfront Station in Vancouver. This engine has just undergone a major overhaul to reduce emissions and extend its life by 15 years. It'll return to service Monday morning, meaning the commuter rail service will be back up to five trips a day between Mission and downtown for the first time in three years. Catalytic converter theft hits harder than you might expect. Why one car owner is being forced by ICBC to pay an extra fee to have hers replaced and how it could be a warning for other victims, too. That's next on the News Hour. I'm very excited for you to get into this record. A dad's honest reaction to new music, a booming hit on YouTube, coming up later on the News Hour. Plus, urban wildlife, what happened to a black bear spotted in East Vancouver. We'll have that a little bit later. Right now, though, the experience of a mission woman serves as a bit of a heads-up to all drivers when it comes to insurance claims for stolen catalytic converters. She says ICBC wants her to pay an extra fee for replacing hers. But as Travis Prasad reports, ICBC says she and any other driver can avoid that fee. Lori Chapman's SUV is running, albeit a little... Thieves targeted her a month ago, ripping the catalytic converter out from under her 2013 Hyundai Santa Fe. She's a big rumble. She filed a claim with ICBC, but there's a problem. They are on back order, the catalytic converters, so they straight piped it in the meantime so that I can drive my car. 
Chapman will have to pay a $300 insurance deductible for a new catalytic converter. No surprise there. However, ICBC documents show she's also on the hook for a $407 betterment fee. The fee applies when repairs to a vehicle put it in better mechanical condition than it was before. Because Lori's SUV is 10 years old but is getting a brand new catalytic converter, ICBC requires her to pay 10% of the part's $4,000 value. For parts that experience wear and tear based on usage, such as a catalytic converter in this case, or other major mechanical components, customers with ICBC or other insurance companies may need to pay a percentage of depreciation on the cost of that new part. If someone threw a rock through my windshield, and my car was 10 years old, I would not be made to pay a betterment fee. They would put a new windshield in. Chapman says she found aftermarket catalytic converters online that are 10 times cheaper than the OEM version she's been quoted for. She'd rather go with one of those to avoid paying such a steep betterment fee, and it turns out she can. If they're able to source that part, then there's no reason that I can think of that they wouldn't be able to, to do that as long as it's a, the appropriate part for the vehicle. But repair shops we spoke to said the quality of aftermarket cats can cause mechanical problems down the road, with OEM being the only reliable option. Some question whether ICBC's betterment fee is justified. Travis Prasad, Global News. Comic book fans and commuters flock to Stadium Station today. So if you don't have a ticket, you are not in the line, you've got to go all the way down to the back. The lines snaking down the stairs and around at least another block. They were all there because TransLink released its limited edition DC Comics Compass cards. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman and The Flash all making their first appearance on the transit passes. Just 250 of each character was available, time to coincide with the release of the Flash movie in theaters. I got the Flash, the Superman, and then I got uh, Wonder Woman. So how long did you wait in line? Uh, since nine, actually. And is it worth it? I think it is, yeah. It's a big collaboration. I think, yeah, they, they should do more of these. Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. The whole thing. Oh, I didn't get the Flash. Oh, why not the Flash? He's a bit of a loser. <laughs> Was it worth standing in line for all this? Yes. <laughs> the bundles sold for $40 each and included a poster and a lanyard. Up next, new details emerge in the Manitoba bus crash, the latest on the investigation and what led up to the collision. And they just won one of Canada's biggest lottery jackpots, something even they didn't believe at first. High above the Alex Fraser Bridge right now where we had two accidents. One just cleared at the north end, but unfortunately for northbound traffic, we are still waiting for the second one to clear, so traffic is heavily backed up on the bridge deck and on the 91. Today's low max jackpot is an estimated $15 million. Lotto Max, a dream to the max. High above the Alex Fraser Bridge, I'm Jennifer Lee. Fifteen people, all believed to be seniors, died in yesterday's bus crash on the Trans-Canada Highway in Manitoba. Ten others are still in hospital. Kyle Benning has the latest on the police investigation and what we're learning about the moments leading up to the deadly collision. A half-mast tribute in Dauphin, Manitoba. 
to those lost in Thursday's bus crash. Communities across the prairies and beyond are reeling with RCMP officers notifying families. Ten people are still being treated in hospitals in Brandon and Winnipeg. Six are in critical care units, with the other four being cared for in surgical units. These are quite extensive injuries. Like I said, six of them are in critical care, uh, receiving um, life-saving support. The province's health care coordination team says those injured range in ages from early 60s to late 80s. In the region where the seniors are from, a support centre is being prepared, with local leaders getting ready to offer whatever they can. It's never... In It's never an easy process responding to these. A small city of about 8,500 people is about a two-hour drive north of the crash site. It's where the Trans-Canada Highway intersects with Manitoba's Highway 5. On Facebook, the bus operator posted its sympathies and condolences to families and loved ones. A previous post on Quality Care Transit's page shows a poster promoting a bus trip to the Sandhills Casino in Carberry. Looks like it might have been like a semi accident. Oh my gosh. The semi involved in the collision was owned by transport company Day and Ross. In a statement, its CEO, William Doherty, says he doesn't have any additional information to offer and will comment when more is known. Quote, we will fully cooperate with the investigation and offer any assistance and support that we can. Doctors say given the nature of the injuries and the victims' ages, patients' outcomes and recovery times could be impacted. Kyle Benning. Global News. Just ahead, Canada hits an historic population milestone. What passing the 40 million mark means for the future of our country. Plus, a close encounter of the wild kind in East Vancouver. What the future holds for this wayward black bear. above the Massey Tubble in a Global One. I'm Jennifer Lee. I'm just taking a look at northbound traffic on the 99. It's very heavily backed up all the way to the Delta Works Yard, and that's because of an earlier problem. Good thing is counterflow is out, so you do at least have two-lane advantage. Through Carmack Cares for Kids, expert care for your vehicle provides expert care for kids. Carmack is celebrating 50 years of collision bus services, so choose the best. Hi. A Victoria couple has a lot more to celebrate than their wedding anniversary now that they've just won a huge jackpot. <laughs> Lawson Rizrazi and Debbie Ramsey were presented with that check for $35 million. That's half of a $70 million jackpot from the June 6th Lotto Max draw, which they're splitting with a winner in Ontario. Debbie says when Lashen called her to tell her, perhaps not surprisingly, she wasn't buying it. I didn't believe him. I thought he she, was playing a joke on me. She don't. So? <laughs> yeah. She it, say, prove that for prove me. It, I say, prove it. okay, I will take you to Calidri Food close to my our house. Okay. And uh, I take her inside and she checked the ticket. She tried four times. Four times. Wow. Wow. She checked the tickets. She wants to cry i say no keep, we gotta keep calm as for their future plans lawson says he's going back to work on monday debbie is retiring they plan to do a lot of traveling including across canada on a road trip in a new mercedes camper van where they say they'll show up at families homes and 
give them some money. They've got lots to share now. Well, Canada hit a milestone today just around noon our time. For the first time, our population reached 40 million people, largely driven by immigration. That's creating challenges. Where are we going to house everybody? And it's being acutely felt here in B.C., where the cost of a home just keeps getting higher. Richard Zussman reports. It's a milestone with big ramifications. On Friday, Canadian population hit 40 million. And this is good news for B.C. that we're growing and that we're thriving. Canada's population is growing this year at a rate of 2.7%, the highest annual growth rate since 1957. Here in B.C., the population grew by more than 100,000 people last year, and this year's numbers are even higher. We're setting another record this year. Uh, that brings uh, huge demands on our systems. The population boom mainly driven by immigration, a double-edged sword according to experts. The discussion around immigration isn't just about how many people we are going to let into this country, but it's really the kind of infrastructure we are going to build. The province can't control where people move, putting intense pressure on housing. While building goals are in place, it can't keep pace with what people can afford. We've offered the possibilities of meeting your Canadian dreams, we now unfortunately are creating an environment for a housing nightmare. And it's not just housing. Schools are built in this province in full on the first day. Hospitals are under immense pressure and roadways can't handle the current traffic. Can our school systems, can our housing systems handle this rapid population growth at this time? And that question I think is increasingly, some people are answering, not really. BC government officials asking the federal government to tie crucial infrastructure money to immigration. But one of the issues is those that have lived here a long time didn't pay enough into the system. We're late to the game in terms of anticipating and asking baby boomers to pay enough in taxation to cover their medical care and old age security. That's the elephant in the room. An elephant getting harder and harder to budge. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Other countries in the world closest to the 40 million population mark are Morocco, Afghanistan, Poland and Iraq. The most populous country in the world is China with 1.4 billion residents, although India is close behind. And the least populous, other than the sovereign entity of the Holy See, is the South Pacific island nation of Tokelau, population about 1,400, not far from Samoa. Coming up, a BC father and son bonding on YouTube. One of my favorite things about just experiencing art is being able to share it with other people. How music and their reaction to it is wrapped racking up a lot of views. And later in sports, why these could be the last days as a Canuck for Oliver ekman Larson. All your local news. All your breaking news. All the news you need. Get it at 6. Global News Hour at 6. An unusual visitor had authorities busy this afternoon in East Vancouver. A bear was spotted happily walking along fences in backyards near Victoria Drive in East Pender, far from what should be its natural habitat. So conservation officers, supported by police, came out to tranquilize the bear. It tried to escape over a gate, but probably felt a little woozy from the tranquilizer dart in its back. It never made it, so officers came in and moved the bear out of town. And 
we hope it's feeling much better wherever it is right now. Uh, felt good, feeling a little cooler, but uh, the sun did break through this afternoon. Christy's got your weekend weather forecast right now. Christy? Thanks so much, Chris. And that's really what we can expect through the weekend is, yes, some moisture, but we'll see some breaks here and there as well. Here's the cold front that moved across the region earlier today. There are the breaks, and behind it, we have a number of thunderstorms with a few areas, the Caribou region, as well as the northeastern sections, uh, risk, or they had a few thunderstorms that were more severe. All thunderstorm uh, warnings now have, severe thunderstorm warnings have now ended. Now, as we head into the next little while, we have had a drastic change in our BC Wildfire Service fire danger rating because of the rainfall we saw today, but BC Wildfire Service warns us that this can quickly uh, sort of swing the other direction with just a few days of dry weather. So don't let down your guard just yet, that's for sure. Now here's a look at what we're expecting. An upper level trough will shift in tomorrow morning. We're expecting a few light showers across the south coast, but we should see some breaks of blue sky by the afternoon. Into our Sunday though, Father's Day, we'll see a number of showers as well across the region with a risk of thunderstorms, but again, Sunday afternoon we'll start to see some breaks of blue sky and total rainfall amounts will be minimal we're talking about a trace in some areas to potentially 15 maybe 20 millimeters there's your saturday forecast everyone again a chance of showers across the region areas south kamloops not expecting any moisture though but for the south coast we do have a slight chance earlier in the day with just minimal precipitation expected saturday morning but a better chance on sunday morning for our father's day so remaining unsettled over the next little while as we well know keep your rain jacket handy it's going to be on and off over the next few days tonight central windows weather window coming to you from cranbrook very ominous sunset as you can see here linda richardson capturing that one it almost looks like halloween which we're far away from right now but uh pretty cool sunset <laughs> sure are spooky indeed love that telephoto lens okay thanks christy a Vancouver father and son have an unexpected hit on their hands sharing their love of music on a youtube channel that's now surpassed half a million subscribers. The success, of course, is gratifying, but as Troy Charles shows us, even more important is the effect the experience is having on their relationship. Three, two, one. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Connor, here with my father. Kevin. From a makeshift basement studio in East Vancouver, the heartwarming relationship between a father and son has found a worldwide audience. Having that other side where it's like, you're not just my father, you're my best friend. It's, it's something special. It all comes on the back of their YouTube channel where Connor shares his favorite albums with his father, Kevin. And the way you've done it for me is that going, going back, on starting at the latest album and then going backwards has been the best thing. In just two years, their channel, Turning the Tables, has amassed half a million subscribers and nearly 50 million views. That was, that was really, really, really nice on the ears, man. I can't emphasize how much of a special moment it is because mm. you're listening together and you're looking at each other and you're sharing lyrics and it's, it's not something you do every day. Musically inclined since the age of 15, Kevin had given up on new music until Connor finally convinced his father to join him for their first album reaction video. Every day, every album, it just, my heart started getting back and back into music and loving it. The fact that you were willing to do it um, for me, yeah. I think is a, a really big thing that I appreciate every day. The duo's willingness to be emotionally vulnerable has resonated with their audience. I cried through the first song. 
That is uh, already an emotional roller coaster. Kevin admits to often staying up late into the night, replying to fans across the world. Seeing those messages is kind of what made me really want to continue doing this because I was like, okay, this isn't just for us anymore. Like we yeah, are impacting people. Very grateful. And I'm so grateful for you to, for starting this. And I love you for that. Yeah. And I, I, I love you too, because <laughs> <laughs> the pair says the strength of the channel has only strengthened their bond, a father son bond that is flourishing right before their audience's eyes. Cheers to everybody at home watching. Troy Charles, Global News. Troy Charles making his debut on the news hour. New reporter for us. Well done, Charles. I mean Troy, but we'll probably call you Charles. Because <laughs> we use last names around here now and again. Right, Barnes? Nice, Galus. <laughs> well, the Vancouver Canucks, remember at the end of the season? Oh, we don't want to use buyouts. Hmm. Mm -hmm. They've changed their mind. They finally told Oliver Ekman Larson, all right. Here's a big bag of money. Now just go away, please. Top of the left circle, dying seconds of the power play. And Larson with the drive, he scores! Yeah, the Canucks changed their mind, and quite frankly, they really had no choice on this one. They had to clear cap room. Also tonight, satellite debris. Squires here with sports, a little financial relief for the Canucks. Yes, today. well, it had to happen. You had mm -hmm. to do it. Even though they said at the end of the year, oh, we're not going to do it. They did it. In a salary cap world, sometimes you have to spend money to save money. I know it sounds strange, but that's how it works. It took a while, but the uh, Aquilinis finally agreed to pay for Jim Benning's mistake, and they bought out the rest of Oliver Ekman Larson's contract, which... Now, it's not as bad for the Aquilinis. They only have to pay two-thirds of what was left. So that does save them a bit of money. He had four years remaining. And the Canucks will now have to pay him a little over, I think it's $17 million to go away. What this does, though, is immediately gets Vancouver from being over the salary cap limit to being $6.44 million underneath it. Now management can't suddenly think, oh, this is found money. We can go out and spend it foolishly. Don't do that. This should be just the start of the salary cap cleanup. Others still have to go. Now, I would compare Ekman Larson's time in Vancouver to getting an average meal at an expensive restaurant. It's not that the meal was horrible. It just wasn't worth the price. Ekman Larson is no longer a $7 million-plus defenseman. So because of that, the Canucks are paying him, and he's a free agent, so he can sign for cheaper, and there will be teams who will line up to do that, get him for a lower salary, because he would be good at a smaller wage. And the big savings for the Canucks are right away. This season, Vancouver will only pay him just over $146,000, which means, as we said, they now have around $6.5 million to spend. But, of course, they should make more money-saving moves, as we just said. We can't say that enough, Canucks. Mm -hmm. Make more. The cost of this buyout ramps up for the Canucks after a couple of years, and it goes down again. But remember, Vancouver is banking on the salary cap going up during this time of this buyout as well. Okay, the Wenatchee Wild are going to leave the BCHL and join the Western Hockey League. The owners 
of the team have bought the Winnipeg ice of the WHL. They're going to move them to Wenatchee for the coming season. So this means Wenatchee will give up its BCHL team and join the Western Hockey League's U.S. division. Now, Wenatchee had been in the BCHL since 2015. They won a championship. The BCHL will have to figure out a way to help the players transition to other teams, but there is not time to replace this franchise in time for the coming BCHL season. Well, the BC Lions are expecting to get at least 31,000 at BC Place for tomorrow's game against Edmonton at 4 o'clock. LL Cool J yep. hits the stage at 3, I'm told. So It's a thing. It's a double thing tomorrow. You're getting two, two forms of entertainment. Uh, BC destroyed the Elks a few times last season. Now, when it comes to running backs, there's always one out there who can help you. Now, the BC Lions lost James Butler after last season. They now have Taquan Mizell, who has NFL and NCAA pedigree. And he has the modern-day running back skill set of not just carrying the ball, but catching it as well, which is even more important when you have only three downs to get 10 yards. <laughs> the smile says it all. Taquan Mizell is back playing football again. Last week versus the Stampeders was his first football game since 2019 and his first ever in the CFL. I just want to play and I just want the, the biggest thing for me was it wasn't about money. It was about like my peace of mind, my mental health and just me being around a great group of guys that make me feel wanted. That I feel like got my back the same with the coaching staff and Canada is awesome. So, you know, I wouldn't have wanted it no other way right now. If Mizell sounds grateful, it's because he's been through the ringer the past few years. On the field, he suffered two devastating hamstring injuries that put an end to an NFL career that had stops with four teams. Mostly practice roster stuff, but the odd game, including his one and only touchdown as a member of the Chicago Bears. Touchdown. Off the field, both of his grandmas passed away suddenly. And just as he was about to start his CFL career with the Lions last year, a ruptured appendix just before training camp scuttled those plans. But the Lions stuck with him, and now he's their number one running back. Everyone's story in here is different, man. And when you hear a story like that, where he's went through so much, and then now he's he, he's excelling, and he's here with the with with the team. You know what I'm saying? It's just awesome to see. So, like I said, I'm very happy for him. Even times when you're having a a bad day, you know, you got you know good group of guys around you, you know that actually care. When somebody genuinely cares, it just makes your job just easier. Mizell shook the rust off last week, rushing for 81 yards and had three more catches for 12 yards. He is just getting back into it and learning the CFL game. So he and the Lions are expecting great things this season. Considering all he's been through, being a 29-year-old rookie in the CFL sounds pretty good right now. You know, you don't never want to look at nothing that's like too good to be true, but it's just like this is everything I worked hard for. You know, I just want to take everything all in. You know, I'm like a role model to my son now. I just want to show him, you know, dad been through a little bit of adversity, but you want to just keep going through things. Like, I never really felt like I took it for granted before, but it's like I'm just overappreciating like the opportunity that's in front of me. Los Angeles Country Club, where the course hits harder than a Canadian Open security guard at Adam Hadwin. <laughs> but Hadwin did save a par right here. That's a lengthy par putt. Right now he's at plus one, still on the course. He should make the cut. Uh, Rory McIlroy definitely has made the cut. He's at eight under par. This is on the ninth. Almost an ace. It's two off the lead at the moment. 
and the lead is still being held by Ricky Fowler. Here's a birdie. He's at 10 under par. Wyndham Clark's at 9 under. Adam Svensson plus one should make the cut. Roger Sloan, Nick Taylor will not make the cut. And Chris wants to swat a fly. Swatting flies in the studio while you're doing your thing. Did you get him at least? Good highlights. I don't think. I think I missed oh, no. What a waste of energy. I know. We'll be right back with Satellite Debris. Jordan Armstrong is here with a preview of what they're look, working on for Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Chris, more turnover at the publicly owned Royal BC Museum. See Dubois has resigned after only 16 months in the job. The museum announced her resignation in a statement this afternoon but gave no reason for her departure. It's been a rocky few years for the museum and we'll have more at 11. Plus, fire has destroyed a Victoria restaurant and police don't think it was an accident. That story tonight as well. Chris. All right, look forward to that. Thanks very much, Jordan. And we'll bring Squire back in now and Christy for a look at satellite debris. Okay. Um... Animals selling booze. That's basically the theme good. of this first segment of Satellite Debris. Loves a duo, so don't dilly dally do, and do what those that do do when they're done doing. The Woodsman Whiskey, well earned. It's with great pleasure that I announce our partnership. Wimbledon is now the official tennis of Sipsmith Gin. What? No, you've got it the wrong way around. Uh, where are you going? This is the official manicured grass of Sipsmith Gin. No, it's the official manicured grass of Wimbledon. Mmm, grass is delicious. This is the official ball machine of Sip Smith Gin. This is the official handmade high chair of Sip Smith Gin. Have you ever sat up here? I have. <sighs> official rain, official superfan. Right. Official lawnmower. I've mowed my face into the grass. Official hawk. That's enough. Official net. Official official. Get it? Yeah, I get it. Wimbledon, official tennis of Sip Smith Gin. Annie, do you have eyes on the swan? Over. Official walkie-talkie. Uh, I don't know what to say to you anymore. Well, we're out of time anyway. Gin. Quite right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Gin. Uh, gin. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, um, I've showed this one before, but um, why not? Bumblebee. You'll know what I'm talking about. Next up, we have an imported 
Personally, I would have rather hitched a ride with Bumblebee, but that's just me. Okay, so yeah. we mentioned the BC Lions tomorrow, um, 3 o'clock before the game starts at 4. It's LL Cool J. So I thought, okay, if we're talking old school rappers, why not bring out a commercial with an old school rapper, that's namely MC Hammer? Cheetos has popcorn now? Hey, I'm going to need you to... Never mind. You can't touch this. Help. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. I trust you. Stop. Have a time. I touched it. New Cheetos popcorn. It's a Cheetos thing. Which begs the question, Chris Galis. Mm. Did you back in the day ever sport a pair of hammer pants? Never. <laughs> Never. That looked like a picnic blanket? No, I grew up in Calgary. <laughs> it was, it was, I was wearing cowboy jeans. Okay. <laughs> Calgary yeah. boy. Yeah, never. Uh, <laughs> happy to be out on the West Coast, though, with a great uh, weekend ahead here, Christy. I have to admit, I had hit some hammer pants. I was going to ask you second. <laughs> yeah, you didn't ask me, but you know what? Hammer you pants to it. all weekend long. Chris, yeah. maybe you'll get some for Father's Day. You know what? I, I guarantee they look better on you than they did on me. <laughs> Thanks very much, you guys. Thanks for watching. Hey, we, lo we lost Paul Hasem this morning. He moved on to Greener Pastures. Just wanted to say a shout out to him. He's been a great member of our morning show and all the best. He won't be far and, away. Uh, and yeah, and Papook, his wife. Miss you guys already. Bye.